1: Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of my 2023 Rugby World Cup preview series. We continue with pool C today by moving on to Ireland's old nemesis of Wales. Warren Ball is back and the WRU are still a shambles, but can this youthful side upset the odds on the lighter side of the World Cup draw? Joining me to look ahead to Wales' is French fortunes are two more debutants to the BOD. It's the Welsh Region Rugby Appreciation podcast contributors, Jamie and Lee. So thanks for coming on, gentlemen. Hey, be no good to be here. Good to have you on as always and we could sit here and talk about the WRU and the pitfalls of Welsh Rugby for for hours but we'll try and keep it positive as much as we can so I'll start with yourself Jamie, World Cup is just on the horizon, are you excited?
0: Absolutely, I'm very excited, I actually think this World Cup is probably one of the most intriguing World Cups we've had in quite a while I know a lot of people have sort of moaned and groaned about the draw being lopsided and being drawn too early and all that. And yes, yeah, a fair point, but it is what it is now. You know, we just need to get on with it and we need to look forward to it. And, you know, I'm looking forward to it big time. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing if fans can live up to the favourites tag. I'm looking forward to seeing if finally can finally break that World Cup quarterfinal curse. Sorry to mention it, but. No
1: worries. And uh, I,
0: am look- I am looking forward to seeing Wales prove the doubt as well. Because I genuinely believe we will, and it's look, it's been a horrible year for Welsh rugby, both on and off the field. But despite all that, I genuinely believe Wales are going to have a good World Cup campaign. And I know, I know, I'm in a minority here, but I try and be positive. I try and be optimistic. I think we're going to do okay. okay.
1: Will we we'll leave it at that? So and just leave the excitement. <laughs> <laughs> we could. Like, I don't mind. But, Lee, are you are you going to share the same sentiment? I, I think that's the first
2: time I've heard Jamie be positive all year. Um, yeah, he's a he's a dragon <laughs> supporter, so let's be fair. Um, for me, it hasn't quite caught fire yet. It, it, it's not, and you know, I, for me, it's being realistic. We had a, a, a shocker of a, a Six Nations. There's not really been, uh, you know, the two England games haven't really caught fire for me. And uh, yet, there's been a win against England, which is always something we're celebrating. But for me, it, it's just not. Um, uh, the type of game that we're playing uh, I'll be fair, it, it's evolved but it's not evolved into something exciting and interesting for me and and that's the bit that can't, that's the bit that I want. Yeah, I, I watched the Scotland game, the, the Scotland-France game after and you know, you're know you almost cheering both sides sort of a thing yeah, and, and it was a really good game so when we get to that kind of test and to that kind of standard and to that kind of game, I'd be I'd be bang up for it then, but I, I, I'm genuinely more interested in can Scotland actually keep this up? Because if, if I think if Scotland continue to build on on what they've got so far, um, I think they're the team that are going to shock more than more than
1: Wales probably. Yeah, I was uh, it's when you. You were... <laughs> continue. Continue <laughs> on the mission, then. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you fairly when you were halfway through that. I was thinking you do realize. France and Scotland were playing some good rugby at the weekend, but thankfully you did realise it was mm. God. It was a tale of two different games. But listen, we would we, again, we'll try and stay positive. It's, it's not easy. It's been a long year for everyone. We'll try and stay positive, and on that, we will start with the the return of Warren Gatland, which you know. After forty minutes, back in February, in his first forty minutes, it didn't look like this was going to be a good move, and I had to get that one in there because it was Ireland who you played first. Um, <laughs> but this this tournament was always the aim, really. It, like you know, so to to properly get going, I'll come back to you, Lee. Replacing Pivac with Gatland, do you think it was a good? Do you think it was a good idea, or are you are you going to refrain from praising the WRU where possible? <laughs> um. I'm one of those, I'm a Scarlet
2: supporter, Pivac was a Scarlet's coach. Um, But I said right from the start that every time Wales has promoted a coach from within, you know, from within the Welsh system, it just never works out well because straight away you're up against it with, you know, over half of the the population don't want you coaching. So I I think that's where Gatland has kind of, he's got a bit of breathing space a bit more breathing space than any welshman that that takes that job that people go oh well you know he's not one of ours but at least he's not you know he's not an osprey he's not a dragon yeah you know we'll give him a crack so uh, yeah i mean i think actually shot himself in the foot there um you know we we have seen people like alan wynne jones and tiprick and all of that kind of stuff going he, he should have taken that into his bucket in, in the, the autumn internationals and said, right, okay, if I'm going to build for the World Cup, this is the team I'm going to build with. Because it, it just, it, for for me, he didn't stamp his team well enough. And he let too many people kind of, I'll try this, I'll try this, I'll try this, I'll try this. And I think if he really just gone, like you know, I'm, I'm going to go with a fairly rigid game plan. I think the game plan he employed was just too complicated for most Welsh players. Um yeah, and he paid the price for it. Uh, and bringing Gatlin back, you know, Gatlin's got nothing to gain for me by coming back. He 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 did what he did. He took us to world number one, two World Cup semi-finals, you know, an unbeaten run of 19 games, I think it was. You know, he, he'd done everything. So he's only got something to lose by coming back. So I was a bit surprised that he came back. But at the same time, we knew what we were getting. We knew we were going back to Warren Ball. We knew... It was going to be pretty slow and turgid. Um, and it is. So, yeah. But hey, we, we we beat England. So, yeah. been a good season. It's just been yeah. good for him so far. You've
1: you played England and you realise that Warren Ball is surprisingly more exciting than Borthwick <laughs> Ball. Yeah. Jamie, what was your thoughts on the, the return of, of Gatland? Gatland 2.0. Well,
0: look, I think, firstly, Wayne Pivak is a very good coach. And he fully deserved that opportunity with Wales because of the brilliant work he did at the Scarlet. So I had no issue with Wayne Pivak being Wales coach. He got the gig and he deserved it. The issues I had with Wales under Pivak and the because I constantly banged on about an hour pod. There were times when I watched Wales and I just didn't know what the game plan was. You know, I didn't understand what we were trying to do. I didn't really understand what style we were trying to play. There was no blueprint. I couldn't work out what the heck we were trying to do. And I do think after a very disappointing uh, Six Nations campaign in 2022, um, which included losing at home to Italy for the first time ever, and then in the autumn series, we lost at home to Tier 2 Georgia. I think that was the the last straw that broke the camel's back, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, Now, no disrespect to Italy or Georgia. You know, they're on an upward trajectory. We know that. But I think if you lose at home to Italy or Georgia, in a calendar year, for both of them, then that's a sackable offence as far as i can say. You know that he had to go; he was a dead man walking. Um, as for one Gatland coming back, I mean, this isn't a "told you so" moment, but I did also say on the pod to uh, Lee that if <laughs> we did well after we lost to George, wasn't it? I said I would yeah. go back to one Gatland. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's the right decision personally because he knows Welsh rugby. You know, like the back of his hand. I have to say I am slightly uncomfortable by the amount of money the WRU and a at Gatland. You know, Lee will know this, but yeah. we're often told that there's no money in Welsh Rugby. <laughs> and yet we're hiring and firing coaches, we're sacking people in senior positions, paying them off. And it's just crazy. I mean, I love to know how much money has been spent in Welsh Rugby on, you know, sacking off coaches and people in senior positions and bringing in new coaches. You know, I bet the amount is pretty eye eyewater, isn't it, you the true figure. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I've got a world issue with Ron Gatlin coming back. Um, I do think the jury is still out on him though. to be perfectly honest with you. And let's be honest, results so far have not been great. Um, But I'm going to judge him on the World Cup because that's what Gatlin was brought in by the WRU for. He was brought in for the World Cup to have a successful World Cup. And I'll judge him then. And I think the World Cup will tell us whether Gatlin is the right man to take Wales forward in the future, I think. Mm.
1: Yeah. And I suppose I, I don't want to bring it back to England again, but nearly everything you said, if you swap names like Gatland for Borthwick or WRU for RFU, it could actually be the exact same argument in terms of money, in terms of coaching. But listen, that's just, that's an entirely different conversation. We will get into that another day, but not we, today. We we'll can do that to... one on Twitter. Let's, let's do that conversation on Twitter <laughs> just to wind the English Ali. up. <laughs> Ali, it's a lovely Sunday evening as we record. Don't bring that on me. <laughs> I already had people standing up for um, for Freddie Stewart for the incident at the game of the weekend, ba- comparing it to you, Leinster fans. I'm a <laughs> Munster man, so I really don't know where he was going with that. We <laughs> <Listen. laughs> will, will it go back to we mm-hmm. would return to the starting the year in mm-hmm. the Six Nations, and it was just one win for Ishi- for for Italy. Apologies for Wales over Italy. But they did finish strong against France and then, of course, beat England in, in Cardiff in the first warm-up game, which we'll get to later. Like most listeners here will be fairly familiar because Wales were a big story this year with Gatland and all that. So I'll, I'll come to you first, Jamie. Would you like to take us through their their campaign, starting with the Ireland game and then moving on to Scotland and England, if you don't mind?
0: Yeah, no problem. So Wales kicked off the Six Days campaign against Ireland in Cardiff. And it's fair to say the opening of the new Warren Gatland Diva went down like a lead balloon. not there. <laughs> it didn't take long mm. for the optimism to quickly die down. Um, it was a bonus point win from Ireland, as you all know. They won 34-10. And you like this stat, And This was Ireland's first Six Nations victory in Cardiff for 10 years.
1: Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I <laughs> tweeted about that the week of the, you the game. You
0: about that.
1: <laughs> I dreamed about that the week of the game, and I was like, oh, God, Gatland's back. We never win here. Oh, Really? But we won a grand slam, <laughs> so I don't mind. <laughs> Anyways, that's your <a>
0: <laughs> Yeah, so I think for me, the biggest takeaway from this game was just how utterly ruthless Ireland were in our first half, and how utterly flat Wales were in our first half. I mean, Ireland were 27 three up at half-time. I mean, well, let's be honest, it was game over from that point there, wasn't it, really? Um, credit to Wales, they were better in the second half, but they failed to convert the opportunities, and Ireland's defense was really good, so Big statement made by Ireland in that opening game. Um, big disappointment for Wales. Then we move on to Scotland at and um, This one really annoyed me, I have to say, because I don't like losing to Scotland at the best of times, but this no was one particularly disappointing. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. No one likes losing to a Tier 2 team today, let's be honest. <laughs> Apologies to Scotland fans. Apologies to Scotland fans. It's, it's, it's way
1: too early for that now. At least leave it until after now. South Africa beat them in the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> or gonna
0: say it. I know I'm gonna say that I gotta say I'm just joking Scotland. I'd say very good to but um, yeah, Scotland got well deserved bonus point. They won thirty five seven Wales actually had a good first half in that game. They had seventy percent territory in that first half, but they just wasn't clinical enough, and they paid the price for it in the second half and credit to Scotland, you know, they were ruthless in that second half, and they put Wales to the sword. Dan Bigger, I'm afraid, as much as I love Dan Bigger, he had an absolute stinker that game, um, I remember he had a bit of a strop for Rio Dyer when he dropped that ball to the and you know, Bigger, he can sometimes revert to these man-child moments, can't he, when he loses his cool and unfortunately he reverted back to that against Scotland, you know, having a popular young player like that on the field, it's, it's not a good look, if I'm being honest and um, You know, he had uh, some sarcastic comments before the game, was he saying Scotland were red-hot favourites and the best team in the tournament and and all this stuff, but it came back to bite him in the end. Um, Yeah, so it was a pretty miserable day, I'm afraid, another miserable day for Welsh rugby. Um, It was Scotland's biggest win over Wales, and it was Gatlin's first ever defeat to Scotland as Wales coach. So history made it, but for all the wrong reasons. And, uh, well, game three was England then in Cardiff. And I think the build-up to this game would be far more remembered than the actual match itself. Um, it was a pretty chaotic time, as we well know in Welsh rugby. So we had the threat of a player strike um, over the delay of contracts and one in a 60-cap rule to be uh, axed. But I was now averted following a series of crisis meetings on the Wednesday evening. And I just remember watching the news and seeing it all unfold. <laughs> Ken Owens... Saying that Welsh rugby was a laughing stock, and having the WRU chief exec Nigel Walker <laughs> right next to him and seeing Nigel Walker's face, it was an absolute picture, you know. But uh, he was right; he was absolutely right to call it out. To call it out, Welsh rugby was a laughing stock, and yeah, it was a pretty um, difficult week for the players. A lot of emotions. Ken Owen said he was draining going to all those player meetings having to talk about their futures. And the game itself, I mean, it was always going to be difficult for Wales, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't exactly the ideal preparation you need going into a big game against England. And it ended up being a 2010 win to England. And um, to be honest with you, I I don't have much to say about this game. It was pretty dull, wasn't it? Pretty bland. I remember Wales just kept kicking to Freddie Stewart all the time for some reason. Got no problem with teams kicking. People moan about there's too much kicking in rugby. I have no problem with the amount of kicking, but when you just keep kicking it to the same guy over and over again, that's not smart. You know, you need to vary it up. Uh, it was Mason Brady's debut as well for Wales, if I remember, he had a pretty good game. It was even Joe Walk into the centre. But yeah, it was a pretty miserable start from Wales, wasn't it? And it was zero wins from three, and that was our worst start to a Six Nations campaign since 2007. It
1: was It was looking bleak at the time, but... Against all odds, maybe some of it because of Italy just being really, really weird on the day. Wales turned around and they bet them. Um, Lee, do you want to take us through the last two games, which were more optimistic than than the opening three? Well, yeah, I
2: mean, in theory, they if you look at the uh, if you look at the final score, twenty nine seventeen, then yeah, it looks like a really decent win. And then you go in and you look at the game and you go, actually, two of the Welsh tries came from a lucky bounce. You know the the, the Reese Webb wrist web kick could have bounced into touch, could have come back inside. Came back inside, right into Rio Dyer, and it's a stroll over. And Liam Williams' try was again a misspass that bounced up into his into his arms. Um, shocking tackling, but you know, and he's over. So you know, whilst the score was was. Flatter into Wales. You know, Italy also butchered three clear try chances. You know, literally second row, five meters out, he's got a winger outside him. He goes for the line, and and Ken Owens has made fifteen meters on him, I think, and and pulled him down. So, you know, he, it's easy to look at the final score and go, yeah, Wales were twelve points better, or whatever. But that game could have swung either way. Italy were on the on a bit of a crest of a wave. They've been playing really well up till then. And I think what won that game for Wales was just pressure. Um, you know, Jamie talked about kicking it to Sue all the time. Well, this the, the, the tactic in that game was clearly to just chip it over the top of the back line. And I think there was something. It was the highest rate of kicks that Wales had ever had in um, a Six Nations game in that Italy game, and I think something like seventy-five percent of kicks went less than fifteen meters. So, you know, it was a clear tactic, it worked, it kept turning the back line, it put Italy under pressure, and then it was just fitness, and you you could see in that last 20 minutes of that game, um, Italy's fitness just wasn't there, they were panicking, they were trying to do all sorts of things, they, they were passing balls to players that weren't there, and the reason they weren't there was because they weren't fit enough to get back into position. So, uh, you know, it it was a decent enough win, don't get me wrong, it was... The, the thing I liked about that game was the start of the first five minutes and, you know, Wales developed a, a bit of a thing for one pass and up and one pass and up. And we, we we just scrapped that first pass and we just went bang, bang, pick and go, pick and go, pick and go. And we took 45 metres out of them that ended up in uh, a penalty. And then we did it again 15 minutes later. We took another 40 metres out of them and that ended up in a try. So, you know, they, they were clear... Bits of that game that were really positive, um, but for me, uh, you know, it, it was it was overblown as a massive success. So keeping feet on the ground, I think that game nice to get same as the, as the England game, you know, week ago. Nice to get it, but it wasn't great rugby. And then, you know, we we played France, and you go from beating a. a, a an Italy side that just panicked and essentially threw the game to a French side that kind of really had something to prove. You know, they were going all guns for it. Um, And again, we started really well. We we started that game exactly the same way we did against Italy. Pick and go, pick and go, pick and go. We had backs coming in close to the rock and go and pick and go. And we were taking 35, 40 metres out of them. And then you go, OK, well, this looks good. This this is an interesting new tactic. And then we get to 10 minutes and we go, all right, well, we'll leave that now and we'll move on to kicking again. So I think, the, you know, the, the structure of the game that we were playing, I- instead of going, this is working or that's not working, we just went, we're going to do this for 10 minutes, then we're going to do 15 minutes of this, and then we're going to do another 10 minutes, you know. So for me, the game was too structured from Wales and France just... Hold us over the park, you know. Um, Anyone that listens to our pod will know my my feelings on George North at centre. So I went back and watched those games today. Um, The two words, the three words, George North centre just don't go together. He he, he isn't a centre. He's a lovely guy. He's got lovely hair. He's got fantastic thighs. But he's not a centre. Stick him on the wing, get him to do some damage. Put him at inside centre, maybe, and get him on a crash ball. But outside centre, defensively, um, when I went, I, I went back today and reviewed French tries, France scored five tries, three of them, George North was out of position. And, and he's flailing around. In, in, And France targeted him. France targeted that, that ball straight out to him. And he got confused. He had centers running at him, he had wingers at him, he had back rows running at him, and he and he couldn't defend it. So I think we learned a lot from that game. I think we 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 took some stuff out of that game that probably needed to be taken. Um it was a it was a massive loss, it was 41-28. But we got a bonus point against France. when when the game broke up, when we loosened things up, when well, we started playing what I would class as a Welsh way, you know, a little bit off the cuff, a little bit of broken play, and a little bit of, you know, trickery here and there. We, we started looking more comfortable playing that style of game, knowing that we could go back to a structured game. Then we lo- we don't look comfortable playing an overly structured game. So yeah, it, you know, again, it was it was a good game to watch. It was a good game to watch because we looked down and out. We we looked completely destroyed at halftime. And we came back in the second half, bonus point for for tries. So it could have been worse, but um, yeah, not not the way we want to finish your Six Nations, put it that way.
1: No, that's fair. And uh, you mentioned the George North question. Obviously, that is it's it's one that has been discussed quite a bit. Um, you know, the as I know, Hugh Griffin. Friend of this pod will be on next week and friend of your pod has, has gone through that on his Twitter before. Josh Adams as a 13 was trialled the year before. That didn't really work out. And these selection questions will almost certainly come up during the World Cup again because there will be injuries, there could be suspensions. And yep. and I suppose the Welsh squad, the big thing that came out last May was Alwyn Jones steps away, Justin Tiprish steps away. Like and this was in May. This was before the URC season had even finished, for well, for Irish teams in particular. But like things have settled since then. But Lee, I'll I'll come to you first. Um, like the current the current Welsh squad in particular. What's your thoughts on it? What's your thoughts on the forward pack most specifically? And what way do you see the thirty three going, or be it 18, 19, 17, whatever way Gatlin goes?
2: Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting selection in whether he, you know, he's got to select either utility forwards or utility backs. And I think the one thing we have got in Wales at the minute is a couple of decent utility forwards. So, I mean, he started in the, in the original fifty-four squad. There were thirty-one forwards. So from that, we lost Rhys Carey, Ken Owens, Corey Hill, adam and Jones, Josh McLeod and Tipperick, you know, so we're down to 25. (laughs) Within a couple of weeks, we've gone from 31 to 25. Then we haven't even seen on the pitch so far, Will Davis-King, I haven't seen Ben Carter, Teddy Williams. Teddy Williams is a bit of a shock for me, and I was expecting to see Teddy Williams. He's had a fantastic season, so I was expecting him to come in here, particularly as we haven't haven't seen Falatau either. But I think if you say, oh, You know, in my head, we haven't seen certain players so far, so they're probably not going. I think we can exclude Falatow from that. You know, he's just that kind of a player. Um, If Wales go without Falatow, I think that gives an advantage to some of the other sides, knowing that, you know, he's not there sort of thing. Just having him on the pitch just gives us a little bit more of an edge uh, with that. Um, Yeah, and then we've got injuries. So we were at the minute we're, we're waiting for injury news on Ryan Elias, Dewey Lake, both hookers, uh, Tane Basham after the weekend. Um, uh, who else? Oh, Jenkins did his knee the week before, and then Plumtree's done his elbow. So you know, straight away, if you take all those injuries and all those plays out, you're down to 16 players, and you want to take 19, 18, or 19 to to um to the World Cup. So, yeah, I, I mean, for me, I think Nicky Smith is pretty much guaranteed. Um, Gareth Thomas, I, I'd love to see Kemsey Mathias go. I thought he had a good second half uh, against England. There was a good couple of scrum penalties there. I think he struggled to start with, but he worked his way into the game. So I, I, I like the look of that. I think Hooker's the place will we'll be vulnerable depending on what happens with Dewey Lake and Ryan Elias. Um, at the minute, we're down to Elliot D and Sam Parry. Sam Parry wasn't even in the original 54. So Elliot D is the only fit hooker from the original selection, which um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Bradley Roberts called into the squad. Like Bradley Roberts probably deserved to be there in the first place. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in there. <laughs> um and then, yeah, I think Henry Thomas has had a, a, a cracking set of games. Tom Francis kind of writes his own name in there, and then Kieran Azarati. I, I think he's done enough. I think he's done enough for the plane, and I would like to see him there. I think he's got a bit about him. I would, I would like to see him there. Um, the second rows. We're pretty much down to Will Rowlands and Rhys Davis if if Jenkins isn't fit, and but that's where the utility backs, uh, utility players come in. Where Plumtree, if he's fit, and Shunza, you know, both play second row back row. So I think that's where Wales might have a bit of an advantage, where we've got a couple of players who can switch it up. And when you're playing someone like Fiji, you're going to need a fair old set of second rows that are going to you know, your second rows are going to get a battering against Fiji. So, mm-hmm. and that's our first game up. So, I, I, I think having a couple of bonus utility players is, is an absolute must. And then back row, I mean, well, right, Keith, you can you can pick any of them. Um, Jack Morgan was phenomenal against England. Oh, uh, Yeah, and, you know, he's a young guy. He learned his trade at the Scarlets and and then he turned the river and and we kind of maybe he wasn't but when he's in a red shirt the, the guy is is absolutely awesome Um, and when he was at the Scarlets, we played a lot of two sevens you know we put two sevens on the pitch a lot of the time him and Josh McLeod very similar players uh, in terms of Jackling over the ball incredibly fit both of them incredibly fit so I, I, I'd like to see him on the pitch uh, with Tommy Rafael I think Putting those two on the pitch will scare the living dialects, uh, particularly Australia. Australia used to play two sevens, were really well for them. I think when you go up against them with two sevens, I think that's the right way to go. So, uh, um, yeah, my back row, Jack Morgan, Tommy Raphael, Falatau, and Wainwright. But Wainwright also had a really good game. And Wainwright can switch eight and six as well, so it gives you a little bit more flexibility. And the only player I'm not really sure of in the back row is Tane Basham. And just because of his injury, Um, I think if he's fit, he goes. Because I thought, again, he was just awesome against England. And then Farrell decided to try and decapitate him. And, uh, yeah, it's a real shame for the guy. Because when he's on form, he's an absolute... He's not the biggest guy on the park, but he's an animal. He's a bit like Ken Owens, you know, Ken Owens. I stood next to Ken Owens and he's like up to my chest. And I'm thinking, how are you an international hooker, you know? And, and then you see him on the pitch, and you go, "Christ, I'm glad I didn't say that to him." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, he, he's just awesome, and and Tim the same. So, yeah, that kind of makes up my eighteen, nineteen forwards. Um, I can, if 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 injuries don't go well, I can see a couple of extra players being brought in who I don't know, but. Yeah, we're we're suffering with injury. If if we get more injuries against South Africa, we're in some real, real trouble with that. So yeah. I, I, I picked nineteen forwards with Tame Basham going if if Basham goes that's nineteen, so it's eighteen, nineteen, depending on how we get how he goes. So yeah.
1: The the most fun part of this World Cup warm ups is picking the squads, and I think Lee have brilliantly outlined it there. Jamie, I'll come to you for for the backs. Um, which way do you see that going? Is there anyone kind of who could, who could be missing out that we might expect to go? Or especially if they do go nineteen fourteen, it leaves you a little bit less room.
0: Yeah. So just to pick up on what he what he said, that he mentioned and um, Will Davis King, he actually got released from the Wales squad, which is why we haven't seen him in this uh, series. So uh, yeah. Yeah, he got released. I think he, he got injured. He was, he did get released from the squad. Yeah, I missed that. He got sent back to Cardiff. Yeah, so that's. I was just picked up on what you said there. But uh, yeah, so the backs. I think when I look at the backs, I think certain positions pick themselves. So for me, the starting back three would be Josh Adams, Louis Samit, and Liam Williams. I thought Liam Williams was excellent against England on Saturday, and. I've been disappointed with Liam, I think, over the past couple of seasons. He's been too injury-prone. I don't think his performances have been that good. But I think on Saturday, we saw just how good he can be. He was so good at breaking the line. And, yeah, he spilled a couple of eyeballs. But I think Liam, at his best, edges half-penny for me. And I'm a big half-penny fan. You know, that defensive solidity you get from half-penny defensively. But you don't get the go-forwards that you do with Liam Williams. So I'd probably edge... Liam Williams over the half, penny. Um, there's a good battle to scrum half at the moment between Garth Davis and Thomas Williams. I think Garth Davis is edging in our battle, though, at the moment. And again, you know, his form, as Lino's last season, the first half of the season was pretty poor, wasn't he? he wasn't very mm-hmm. good. We talked about it on the pod. But the second half of the season, I don't know whether he was he had a kick up the ass with Dwayne Peel or something happened, something changed. And now he's like the incredible Hulk. <laughs> he's playing really, really well again, isn't <laughs> he, is. he? You know, it's yeah. just going back to the Gav Davis we all know and expect, you know? Mm. Um, and I would expect that uh, Hardy to be the backup, probably scrum half there. So you've got three scrum halves. And then looking at the half backs, well, the fly half, I think Dan is nailed on, isn't he? But it wouldn't surprise me if the World Cup, if we actually saw, and this is fitness dependent, obviously, if we saw Gav Banscombe start at 10, Dan Bigger sort of come on then to finish the game off. You know, we were sort of seeing this in the warm-up so far as we Dan Bigger coming off the bench, making an impact, closing the game out. So don't be surprised if you see Anscombe start the 10. And I know that one Gatlin is a big fan of Anscombe. But of course, it is fitness-dependent, isn't it? So um, we'll have to see what happens. Now, if he's going to take three fly halves, then I would go Sam Costello over Owen Williams. Because, again, I... I know he made a couple of mistakes in our England game, but I saw enough from Sam Costello to make me think that he is uh, going to make an impact at, at national level. I mean, people have talked about his size. I don't really buy that argument. You know, he's pretty tough, you know, for his size. And I thought he kicked really well. You know, that pinpoint kick to Aaron Rainwright in the first uh, warm-up and that offload and that try, the Jack Morgan run. It was just a beautiful piece of art. And, you know, that's what Sam Costello, we've seen him do it for the Scarlets, He's a really talented kid. And I would like to see him get in the squad. Um, Owen Williams. I like Owen Williams. He's been really good for the Ospreys. But he just doesn't convince me in a whale shirt. And I don't think he was particularly good on Saturday against England either. So I would probably put Costello in over Owen Williams. But I think when you look at the backs, the biggest concern for me, the biggest area of concern is the centre. Because at the moment... I don't know what Wales' best centre partnership is. And I don't think one gap knows either. You know, so we're in a, a bit of a dilemma now with the centres. Now, why are, we, why are we in this position? It's because when Wayne Pivot was head coach, he constantly chopped and changed the centre partnerships during his time in Wales, and that hasn't helped us at all. And I know that Russ Petty and you mentioned Hugh Griffin earlier, they made really good um, points on you know, threads about this on Twitter. In his 34 games as head coach, Wayne Pivak selected 19 different centre partnerships. 19. And I mean, that's just it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? How can you build yeah. any sort of cohesion, any sort of understanding and partnership when you're constantly chopping and changing the centres like that? Absolute madness. Now, Gatlin says he'll take four centres to the World Cup. Uh, my guess those centres are least favourite, George North, mm-hmm. Um, I think he will take Nick Tompkins. I don't know why, I just got feeling he will. I know a lot of people then sold on Nick Tompkins. I know he's a bit of a chaotic player, you know, he's a bit liability in defence, he's a bit chaotic with all in hand, but you know, I think experience and that I don't mind Tompkins, but I think he will edge it. I think Mason Grady will be in there, and I think Max Duellin will probably get the nod. But I do have to say I was really impressed with Joe Roberts against England on Saturday. Now, he does offer something different. He's a left the footballer, and I thought he acquitted himself really well, actually. So don't be surprised if Joe Roberts sort of sneaks his way uh, into the squad. I really like Kevin Williams from the off um, but I just don't think he's going to make the final cut, to be honest. So that's how I see the backs going. It's going to be very interesting to see who he selects. Um, some big names are going to miss out. But um, yeah, I, I'd have to say, when you look at the back line, the one area of concern has to be the centre. And I'm really intrigued to see who is going to be our centre partnership now starting against Fiji? Because at the moment, George North is going to start. He's nailed on, sorry Lee, but it's a fact. He is going to start at thirteen. I have no idea who's going to be alongside him for Fiji and throughout the rest of the World Cup. I don't. I don't think anyone knows.
1: It's it's certainly a position of contention, as we said there. But again, thanks for for running through it. And one thing that these Warwick Games. Sometimes spring is a bit of cohesion, but obviously Wales went all changed for the weekend, so it's it's hard to say that if South Africa come and we don't know what sort of squad they'll go there. But really quickly, we will talk about the summer nation series: two games against England, one win, one loss, and an aggregate victory as well. If you if you really want to rub salt <laughs> in the wound, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah let's do <take> um, that. <laughs> not, not not the Welsh fans, whatever rub salt in the wound over English fans, never. But Jamie, um, I'll, I'll give you the honors of talking about Game One. Would you, would you mind running over that that impressive victory in Cardiff, even if it was pretty dull for the first forty?
0: Yeah. So going in this game, it was really hard to know what to expect, wasn't it? Both teams were sort of mixed and matched with their lineups. England put out a, a B team, let's be honest, um, and yet the media were making England big favourites. We even had Stuart Barnes writing in his time column that uh, defeat for England would be embarrassing. And lo uh, no and behold, it's a win for Wales, and I really enjoyed that. <laughs> um, there were debuts for the rookie props from Cardiff, Corey Domicheski and Kevin Azerati. And to be fair, they did struggle a little bit in that first half, but having watched the game back, I do think they were unlucky with a couple of calls. You know, it was technical stuff like hinging more than anything. It wasn't like the scrum was being shunted backwards. But I thought they recovered well, and, you know, I don't think it helped losing Ryan Elias either in those opening minutes, because he is Wales's, in my opinion, anyway, I think he's Wales's best and hooker. Um, but yeah, you know, I thought they were lucky with a couple of calls from Nick Berry. Um, Nicky Smith and Henry Thomas came off the bench and, well, they did a pretty good job, didn't they? They absolutely dismantled the English scrum. Um, Tame country, a lot of controversy about this selection. You know, people not happy he's been parachuted straight into the Wales team ahead of others. Um, I thought in that game he justified why Gatlin selected him. Um, you know, he dismantled the English line out and he put in some big hits and carries. Ben Carter, Elliot D. off the bench. Max Welling, I thought he was solid, he was spectacular. But, you know, watching this game, you are right, it wasn't a particularly good game. And both of these sides were quite rusty, weren't they? And England were actually the better team in the first half. They had a lot of opportunities. They came to Rush 22, quite a lot, but they just couldn't convert them. And um, they weren't clinical enough. But uh, I was impressed with Wales' second half performance. I thought we really stepped it up in the second half. You know, our fitness levels and our energy, our intensity, we really stepped it up. And Gatland boasted after the game, didn't he, about, you no, know, well, we're fitter than them, we're fitter than England. And it, this does feel like 2011 all over again, because we had Gatland during the 2011 World Cup campaign, sort of saying, no one's working harder than us, nobody's fitting us. I guarantee you're saying exactly the same stuff in the dressing room now. To those players. He's regurgitating the same stuff he was saying in 2011, I guarantee it. But yeah, um Wales won 20 points tonight. It was a good day for the half penny as well during the centre of cap. And let's be honest, he was a typical reliable, the half penny performance was there. So uh, yeah, I mean, overall results don't really matter in these warm-up games. As we know, it is a phony war, let's be honest. But uh, it, it was an encouraging, you know, some green shoots for Wales, I think. So uh, any win over England is to be cherished, warm-up or not, that's why I say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't think you'll find anyone to disagree with you um, <laughs> Lee it was a defeat in Twickenham but it should probably be caveated with the fact that it was nearly a full strength England it was nearly a I'd completely rotated Welsh side and England probably could have had a second man sent off never mind just one because <laughs> listen red cards are part of the game now whether Andy Goode and his friends like it or not so Lee, would you mind just taking us to the game? They fell short, agonisingly so, and but yet somehow it feels like Wales let this slip more than nothing.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely the feeling in Wales today, that, um, that that game was there for the taking. I think the only disappointing pit to come out of that game was when England were down to 13 men and Wales went into their shell and in- yeah. England basically kept that ball tucked, I don't think they put more than two passes together while they were down to 13 men and we didn't really disrupt that, you know we had overlaps outside if we turned the ball over but we didn't look close to turning the ball over so there's a little bit of game management I, I think the worst bit in that game was we had a penalty and bigger kicks for touch and you know, we with three men up we've got three extra players on the pitch and bigger misses the kick to touch. And you're just like, oh, come on. You know, you, you could have taken five metres, 10 metres shorter than that. We're running in a try there. So I think there was a little bit of disappointment in that, that we weren't a bit smarter when England were down to, to 12 men. But having said that, I said I think England turned in a, a a pretty dire performance from their starting 15, that's pretty close to, you know, when you look at all the pundits and you look at what was coming out of the England camp, that's pretty close to their starting 15. So for, uh, you know, almost a trial selection Wales team to go and compete with that, you know, we were nine nil down at half time, And at least two of those penalties were kind of a bit iffy, you know, they could have gone either way from scrums and stuff. So, you know, we, we went out from it. And, and when, again, same as in the first game, we started the second game a bit looser. The 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 control of the game was a bit more, OK, you've got options instead of we're doing this and we're doing this and, and, and sticking to Warren Ball. And I think this, this is where Gatman has learned and, and evolved the game where he's allowing players to make more decisions on the pitch. Maybe not all of them, you know. He's, he may be giving them two or three options, whereas Pivak maybe gave players seven or eight options and nobody knew which one to take. But he's given them two or three options rather than the one option that always used to be Warren Ball and then you hold the ball for 90 seconds and after 90 seconds, you can put two passes in. That That's the way Warren Ball used to be. So I I, I like the fact that we looked to be evolving I thought the tries that we scored were good I think if if Adams isn't taken in the air and dumped on the floor on his head Mr Good if you're listening um <laughs> I, you know I he, he's definitely in there there's nobody behind there if he catches the ball and the fullback um holds him, it's an offload to an inside player. And again, it's, it's a try. So, you know, penalty try was the right decision off there. I, I, my first instinct on that was that's red simply because he took him in the air without any care or consideration for how that player lands, you know, and, and how that player lands is important. Um, I thought Ellis was it. Ellis Genja got sent off for um, the scrum. Whichever prop got sent off on the scrum, I thought that was unfortunate because it was that was very much both way, and the ref goes right both sides. Whoever goes down next, you're off. And you know, I've been a ref myself, trying to uh, at junior level under 16s, trying to ping who collapses a scrum at under 16s is hard enough. Trying to do that at international level when you've never played in that position and you've never really been in that situation uh, it, it is a nightmare. So, so to card him off that was harsh, but again, we should have made more of that. And then Farrell, I'm surprised that's his first red card. Uh, somebody said the other day that's his first red card at international level, and you look back, you go, really? He's been doing that for you know ten years now. He's been trying to decapitate people in various. You know, is this a new law that's been brought in just to, to... Oh, no, no, that's been there all the time. So, yeah, I think it's overdue. And um, he's got three Australians on the panel. Yep. But I don't think they're going to be very lenient on on him. Um, he can't use the, the tackle school anymore. So, But the rumour is that England have arranged uh, a behind-closed-doors game against Portugal to... Get more games in. That's that's the rumor I saw today. <laughs> I know so... davis
0: as well, haven't they? The sexton, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh,
2: but man. you know that that game, yeah, that was there for the win. That that should have been a Welsh win. We should have capitalised on three players off. Um, you know, but sometimes when you're down, when you're up against it. And you go, right, we're not having this. This this is how it's going. And it does charge you on a little bit more. So I think Wales just need to be a bit smarter. That game was there for the for the taking for me.
1: I should have expected uh, two Welshmen to bring Johnny Sexton. into the case that involves <laughs> <Owen Powell>. <laughs> <laughs> I really should have. But anyways... <laughs> We'll move on from that. Um, If you didn't know, Wales have fallen to 10th in the world after this loss. But that, that's not because he said the Sexton thing. I was going to bring this up anyway. And they're in a group with 8th place Fiji, or 8th place Australia, ninth place Fiji, um, 11th place Georgia, and 16th in the world Portugal. It's It's probably the most interesting pool. I know everyone talks about Pool B, but I can't wait to see how Pool C goes. Yeah. Lee, I'll come back to you first of mm-hmm. all on this one, on an overall th- scheme as well as with Wales. How do you see Pool C unfolding?
2: Well, I think, like you say, everybody's really, really close. Fiji have had some fantastic build-up games. You know, they're running in tries for fun in their warm-up games, but now they've got. Um, I think it's France and England. They definitely got England, but they've got you know a couple of stern tests now. So it'll be interesting to see how they go against them. Um Portugal gave USA an absolute tonk in and a half and apparently could have scored a few more. They've 46 points on, on the USA. So if they do play England behind closed doors, that, that would be an interesting game to to see streamed somewhere. It's just, you know, Portugal have, have come quite far uh, over the line. And, and kind of all the focus has been on Georgia as the next side coming up. But Portugal are slowly building something... You know, they've been slowly building it for 20-odd years, but it's a slow increase. So if Wales are going to slip up against anyone, I think probably Fiji in the first game is our big one because it's the first game and Fiji are just going to come all guns blazing and there's going to be 16 props running at you going, what the hell's happening? Um, If George North is on there, they will target George North. They will Absolutely, send everything at George North, and he'll be like an octopus in midfield going, Oh, I can't tackle anyone because I'm not a pro, I'm not a center. You Um, really
0: don't like George North, do you? (laughs) We've established this on the pod if anyone else,
2: I I I love the guy. Like I say, lovely hair, lovely legs, stick him on the wing. Let's have a look at him on the wing. I, I, he's not a center. Um, so (laughs) for for me, yeah, that Fiji game is everything. We're Fiji, Portugal. We build to Australia. You know, we've got eight days in between Portugal and Australia. So I think that works in our favour. And then Georgia last game. um, You know, Georgia just, uh, they beat Romania quite comfortably. But I kind of expect Georgia to be playing a bit higher quality sides in the the warm-up. So I, I think they've got... I think they've got Scotland or France or someone like that. So they have got a decent it's one. Scotland, is, yep. yeah. So they've only got the one really high quality game to build on. And, and I think that Georgia game really depends on how we've done up till then. Because by then, we're either through or we're not. Do you know what I mean? And and that if we're not through, I, I can see Georgia beating us again. Because you know the tails will be up. I, I genuinely can. If there's something on that game, yeah, we'll nail that and we'll we'll take that one down. So I think that's why the Fiji game is really really important. Um, some of the stuff that Fiji have been doing, you know, we've seen the training videos where they're all running up the sand dunes and chanting together and all of this kind of stuff. And then you see the send off where like everybody on the islands, all 523 of them, have come to send them off, and you know. It's one of those things that Fiji uh, are just one of those sides that you you can lose to Fiji quite comfortably at any point, but then Fiji can just shoot themselves in the foot at any point as well. So, it'd be interesting to see how that first game... It's difficult to say, you know, your World Cup depends on that first game, but I think it does. I I think we beat Fiji. I think we'll take Australia because Australia are all over the shop at the minute, and Taking one outside half to the World Cup, one recognised outside half. Uh yeah, I, I, I think we'll take Australia. I really do. If we beat
1: Fiji, so. yeah, interesting because I had the two Australian lads on. It was two weeks ago now since we recorded, but that went live on Saturday morning, and they said Australia won Fiji two. You were saying <laughs> us Wales to possibly beat both of them. If I'm just going to be devil's advocate just for the sake of doing it, I could see Fiji beating Wales and then losing to Georgia just as easily. I think this, I really don't think this pool will be five wins, four wins, three wins, two wins. No. You no. know, I just don't, I don't see that happen. I think there's going to be some big result there. But then you mentioned Wales' opening game. You know, they started with, did they start with Australia last time or was it second up? I think Australia
2: um, was second up last time. Yeah, yeah. but
1: still, uh, you had to get out of the blocks early. So it's mm. it's important to know that Gatlin's done it before, you know, mm. but then Wales have also lost to Fiji in a World Cup in France before. Mm. Um, Just really quickly, Lee, do you think, do you see Wales getting out of the group so?
0: Absolutely, um, I do. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: Okay, perfect. Mm. And Jamie, just if should they do that, then you both see them getting out, can Wales dare to dream of a potential semi-final or final?
0: Absolutely. Well, semi-final, yes. I mean, I am optimistic about Wales, but I'm not that optimistic <laughs> that we're going to reach a final. <laughs> I mean, there's optimism and then there's blind optimism, isn't it? Yes, You know, let's be honest. But, you know, I'm going to give you reasons now why I think Wales will do well in this World Cup. But you can agree or disagree, but this is my reasoning for why we'll do well, okay? So, first of all, Wales are on the easier side of the draw. We're very fortunate with that. You know, if he was in a pool, like in Scotland's pool, I'd be feeling a lot less optimistic, you know? I
1: think you could describe it as the Barbie versus Oppenheimer side of the draw, if you wanted to go that (laughs) way. That's a good
0: analogy. I like that. We'll go with that. So we're very fortunate we are on the right side of the draw. Also, the longer one Gatland has with his players in camp, the better they are. And that's been proven in the past. When he has that uninterrupted access with the players, we're a much stronger and more cohesive unit. So that's another reason. And thirdly, you know, gatlin has got a pretty decent record at World Cups, hasn't he? You know, he hasn't done bad, you know, semi-finals, finals. So I'm very optimistic that we will. Um, if we win Pussy, which is not beyond, you know, the realms of possibility, we're either going to play Japan or Argentina, I believe. And if we that's finish second... Or Samoa as well, okay. And if we finish second, um, it's probably going to be England, isn't it? I would say the likelihood is there. All of those teams are winnable games. On a day, Wales can beat Japan, Argentina, Samoa, and England. And I think on the day, if we get it right in the Gatland, then yeah, why can't we reach a semi final? I mean, I have no idea who we would play in a semi final. It'll
1: be from the other side of the draw. Yeah.
0: Um, But, I mean, you know, if we did make a semi-final, I think that has to go down as a very successful campaign for us Because nobody's given us a chance. You know, I've seen so many people, pundits, supporters, they they don't think we're going to get out of the pool. You know, you mentioned the podcast you did with the Australia boys. I did listen to that, by the way, on the train yesterday. I was listening to a podcast two weeks ago, and they had a rugby journalist on there. And his take was that Australia was going to top the pool with Georgia second, Tying points with Wales. And they were really ripping into Wales on this podcast. And I'm sat there thinking, what planet are you lot on? You know, some of the takes are just unbelievable. But do you know what? We love being underestimated in Wales. And Lee knows this. Every time we are criticised, every time we are slagged off, we always exceed expectations. Where we won grand slams, where we won six days of championships, where we reached semi-finals in the World Cup, we were never favourites. No one gave us a chance. And we've proven time and again, that we can't upset the odds. And I know people talk about Welsh rugby is in turmoil, is in crisis, and yes, it is. But I'd say to you, when has Welsh rugby never, you know, not, not been in crisis? Yeah. Yeah. Welsh rugby <laughs> has always been in crisis. You go back to the decades, the 70s and 80s, the governance has always been an issue in Wales. It mm-hmm. always will be a problem in Wales. But despite the chaos of Welsh rugby, Gatland won, Six days to championships, he won grand slams, he took us to World Cup semi-finals. So I'm not buying the line that, oh, Wales are in crisis and they can't, you know, go far because they're just in, you know, chaos. No, because Welsh rugby has always been in chaos and we've always somehow managed to put that to one side and have successful tournaments. So, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I know Lee isn't, I know a lot of Welsh fans isn't, but I am optimistic The Wales, I think se- I think the semi-final is doable. But I think it's likely that we're going to, you know, get to the quarters. But um, if we did make a semi-final, I think that would go down. All things considered, it's a very successful tournament for Wales. Mm.
2: I think we have a we have a habit in Wales of Gatland will start building. So Gatland plays a very restricted game plan, and that's why the longer you're in camp with him, the more everybody yeah. gets that game plan, and then you can start to expand that game plan because everybody knows the core. And I think that's why it works really well for him. And then you look at the teams that we're playing that are all a little bit chaotic. You know, Fiji like to throw the ball around. Australia don't really know what kind of game they're playing under Eddie Jones. Uh, and, and Georgia will come at you straight at the front. And if you can deal with that, then there's opportunities outside. Gatland's an intelligent rugby player and a rugby coach. He will, he will know what to expect and how to coach that team to compete with that. Um yeah. so yeah, I, I, I think quarter final, I don't think we'll make semi-final. Um I, I do think quarter final. But yeah. Like you say, when I was playing 20 odd years ago, James, I remember talks about players strikes and are we yeah. getting are we getting paid enough? The game's not professional. Oh, did I really say that? Oh, okay. No, the game's professional <laughs> today. Then I want more money. Uh, you know, that, that's that been going on for years and years and years. So, I think, yeah, we kind of used to it, and I think we thrive on it. I think, like you said, we, we thrive on people writing us off, especially if they're English. If they're English, when the English press start digging into us, that's, that's like touch paper stuff, and the rockets all go. So, yeah, it's... I'm waiting for that bit where... I'm waiting for the first English one to go England are gonna win the World Cup. I'm it's it's gotta be out there somewhere,
1: probably Sir
0: Clive already said it, haven't he? I, I was gonna, gonna say the yeah, pilot, yeah. he's acted, <laughs> <asked laughs> isn't he? old Clive. <laughs> I he was, was gonna, gonna won the World
1: Cup, did you know that?
0: <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: <Never>. really.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you must have said something. Yeah.
2: <laughs> they haven't mentioned Stop. that.
0: No. Just to go back to your point, though, Lee, with Warren Gatland, mm. Gatland was asked a couple of weeks ago in a press conference, a journalist had said to him, what do you think about all these pundits sort of writing Wales off and giving them no hope? And he came back and he said, keep doing it, because yeah. we like yeah. that. And do you know yeah. what? It's it's going to feed the narrative. Warren yeah. Gatland is going to love it. If, if you're slagging Wales off, you're not giving them any chance, Warren Gatland likes that. And when he mm. says, this team could do something special, I actually believe him. I don't know. People are going to listen to me and think this guy's off his head. He's too optimistic, but <laughs> I genuinely believe we're going to surprise people, and I think this team can do something special in the World Cup. They, really no,
1: do. they could. They, they definitely could. And when you're on about pundits, a small part of me would just love to see if Sam Costello, who someone like Johnny Wilkinson has never watched kick a ball, um, goes and dumps England out of the World Cup. That that's that's <laughs> an alternative <time> like <laughs> that is it out there. there. And that would be <laughs> that would be iconic. But listen, I, I genuinely think Wales could get to a semi-final. I, I really do. I think it's a toss for coin to themselves in Australia. I think one of them will get there though. And I think in a I hope it, it doesn't affect Ireland, but I genuinely think that one team from that side of the draw could make the final simply because either mm. France, South Africa, Ireland, New Zealand or Scotland would be absolutely spent after yeah. the quarter final. And then they've won it. It could be the one with that shorter turnaround that play on the Friday night in Stade yeah. France. And they just they just don't have it in the legs anymore. It's very possible. It happens at every World Cup that a team who has a brilliant game one week just don't have it the next week.
0: That's it, a good it point. It could it's well really happen again.
1: Yeah, I, I don't possible, hope it way. happens against Ireland. But,
0: so, but, but going <laughs> back to what Lee said about the Fiji game for Wales, Lee was spotted. That game is massive. Wales, Fiji, right? I don't know if it could be considered a must win because it's the first game in the tournament, but maybe it can. Because if Wales lose that game to Fiji, right, I think they're struggling to get out of the pool. Yeah, there. So they really need to win that game against Fiji. We're not going to lose to Georgia again. History is not going to repeat itself. I don't think Gatland will allow that to happen. I think we will beat Portugal comfortably. I think they'll give us a few hairy moments, but I think I expect them, Wales, to overcome Portugal. Australia is the one, really, as well, that I, I just can't call because games are too well Australia over the years. They've had the wood on the overs for so long, but they're always tight games. They're always competitive. It's only ever a few points in there. But they've lost Michael Hooper, though, and that is a massive blow for the Australians because he is a fantastic player, and that is going to be a really big blow. And, of course, you know, they don't have Anatola a prop, and they haven't got Craig Cooper now. And, you know, Fiji, they didn't think Ben Bola, which was a surprise. So, they're strong squads, but there's key individuals missing. I know we got some individuals as well, but that Fiji game for me is going to dictate Willis' campaign. And we have got to start well. And if we lose, I think then we could be in trouble again out the pool.
2: So, can I just say, can I just say, if if anyone's sick of Jamie's positivity and optimism? (laughs) 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 How do you
0: say this? (laughs)
2: Wait until the URC season starts and then come and listen to him talk about the Dragons and it, it should come right the way back down. But
0: to be fair, I don't have, yeah, well, you laugh at me, I don't have many wins to talk about. I literally only get to talk about three, four wins a season. So yeah. it's harder for me to be optimistic then, isn't it? Johnny? So give me some credit where it's due
1: listen the, the Dragons about the reigning URC champions like he's good looking at that one right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. um lads it's, it's been a pleasure so far but we do I do need to get your proper predictions you don't have Wales of winning it you're not that delusional <laughs> slash optimistic <laughs> but who's going to win the World Cup in October Jamie
0: so for me it's out of three teams um, I know it's obvious and in cliche but you've got France there New Zealand, and I think South Africa. I think South Africa, one of those teams, you can never write them off. You know, they got yeah. such depth. they got a really strong squad. They're always there, they're about I think South Africa go deep. The obvious answer is France. Um, everything is set up for France to do really well in this tournament. They're at home. they got an excellent squad. Their league is five in the top 14. They're under 20s, pretty strong. Um, they're a very, very talented squad and they're well coached as well in the Sean Edwards factor. So part of me thinks, yeah, let's just go for the cliched obvious answer of France. But I got a feeling, I know you had Jamie Wall on your podcast as well and he didn't believe New Zealand could win. I wouldn't be surprised if the All Blacks win because they have been really, really good. Since they lost at home to Ireland, they've really upped their game and they fought back really well. And I think Joe Schmidt has been a big part of New Zealand's success, you know, I don't really rate Ian Foster as a head coach, to be honest. I think there's no coincidence that since Schmidt come in, New Zealand start winning, he's a very good coach. And it sounds sleep to say about New Zealand, but I do kind of feel like you've gone under the radar a little bit because there's so much focus is there on France and, you know, we're talking about Ireland and all these other countries. But New Zealand going to be up there. You know, they had an excellent rugby championship. But I do think, I am going to cop out and say, I think France probably will win the tournament. But I wouldn't be surprised if New Zealand with it. But what I will say as well, because I am on an Irish podcast, I genuinely hope Ireland end this wretched World Cup who will do a quarter-finals. I really do. Because that's, that blows my mind. All the talent, all the quality you've had over the years. You know, I don't need to do this now. I know it's, I know it's difficult, and they have a very difficult running They're on the wrong side of the draw. But if not now, then when? I think this is the time. To finally break that curse, and I hope you do. I hope our Celtic cousins, if Wales can't win it, I hope our Celtic cousins do well. And that's genuine. I just take all our Irish friends and family. So, go luck to Ireland. But yeah, France to win it me. for me. Okay.
1: Go Thank you. That's to be fair. Most people are picking France, so you, you didn't yeah. have to say Ireland. But you, you, you redeemed it. It's fine, <laughs> <laughs> <That's really> fine. <laughs> Lee. If if you want, you can call out every Irish person who's ever existed, or you can just. Give us who you think is going to win. <laughs> I don't mind whichever one. So, so I,
2: genuinely, I think you guys are going to love this. So, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see South Africa progress. I just think they're, they're they're quite big, bulky, mobile. I wouldn't be surprised to see France do something as well. But I, you know, I I was looking at it the other day, and I just thought sometimes you just got to go with your gut. And my, so before I say this, okay, for all your Irish listeners, you can follow us on Twitter WRRAP. Okay, so that's that's where we are. Yeah, I, I think Ireland can do it. I, I I genuinely do. I think there's enough guts around Ireland, even when you take Sexton out of it. I think the game plan is around Ireland. I think there's so much stuff built up in the background with Ireland at the minute that it needs a release you know and i think when it comes out it'll come down to that that first game and they'll just start blowing people away they don't fear new zealand they don't fear anyone in the southern hemisphere they don't fear france and i just yeah it's just on gut feeling you know sometimes the world cup is it throws up some crazy crazy stuff i would love to see new zealand come and do something i just i think they're going to bottle it um, and I, I can see South Africa and, and Ireland fighting over who's the home team and who gets to wear green in the final. So, but I think Ireland, Ooh, interesting.
1: I will absolutely <laughs> take that. <I> absolutely <laughs> take that. I, I've said that in every podcast so far. I do think France, but yeah, if you give me Ireland winning every game 3 0. But even even at the weekend against England, if it means we win the World Cup, I will take I will cut off my right hand <laughs> if it means we win every game 3 0 with Warren Ball mixed with Borthwick Ball, and even worse, if we win the World Cup. I don't think Lee will be too happy if he's proven right, but it's all 3 0s. But listen. Oh gosh. It's, yeah. it's been it's been great fun having you on, I will say. Thank you very, very much for joining me. Um and on the back of a of a tough loss as well, but certainly didn't affect the mood anyway. Um, for those at home, that brings our Pool C reviews to a close, or Pool of Chaos, you could even throw in there. Later on the week, this Irish channel gets a flavour of England. We'll have a preview of the Pool D favourites. We will have a preview of Ireland against England in uh, in podcast form as well, as Steve Bortwick's men come to town. And we could even have a very, very special article coming your way this week. Wait and see on that. It depends on team selection if if people at home can read between the lines. But as always, thanks so home to everyone for listening. Thanks so all at home. Uh, ah, apologies, I'm messing this up this evening. Thanks very much to Jamie and to Lee as well for coming on. And if you like what you see here from myself, you can subscribe and you'll find the links to my channels and to the lads rap podcast and to their Twitter pages as well, which I highly recommend. Great fun as was this. But for now, and until next time, take it easy.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.